1: Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
0: This is the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast. Exclusively on the Herd App Media Network. Oh, yeah. Tell it to me straight up. Hello and welcome into the straight up breakdown podcast proudly part of the hill varsity network I am Greg Smith you are why is it still 40 degrees outside when it is almost April and allegedly spring so I'm freezing friend uh, today I'm joined by WNPA's Atlanta dream president and CEO uh, Morgan Parker Shaw Morgan thank you so much for being on the show how are you today.
1: I'm great. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, no problem. I definitely appreciate you taking some time out. I know you got a busy schedule, so I'm I'm happy that you're able to join uh, onto the pod today. So, normally, this is the point where I say that we've got a few segments uh, that are mainstays of the show um, that we love. And the first one is Coach Speak, but I'm going to totally go this way. I'm going to put you on the spot, though, um, that I did not tell you about before this, because we're actually just going to change the entire format of the show um, just for you, um, (laughs) because because it's so cool that I have you on. be a little different. So essentially what we're going to do is we're just going to talk to you about you um, and learn about you um, and in your life. So we're going to start with a real easy question here. Are you originally from Nebraska? If, If you are, where are you from?
1: Well, I am not originally from Nebraska. Yep. I'm originally from Mobile, Alabama, but my yep. family and I moved moved around a lot. Um, and but we lived in Nebraska for about seventeen years. Okay. And so it was a natural fit for me to come to UNL and and start my my college career here.
0: Okay, so that's what what brought you here is that you guys had, you had family that lived here mm-hmm. uh, kind of before you decided to come this way for college.
1: Yeah, I actually had always admired the business school here, the athletics department. I never actually aspired to work in athletics until I actually learned what the business side of sport was mm-hmm. once I got a marketing internship here. So originally I went away to school uh, my first two years at a place called Cotty College, tiny mm-hmm. place in uh, Nevada, Missouri, and decided one day that I needed to come back I needed something a little bit bigger I needed a place with more opportunity and something that was a bit more in line with some of the things that I wanted to learn so I didn't tell my parents I surprised them one day and I said Mm -hmm. mom I'm coming home I'm gonna go to go to Nebraska and they were thrilled so that's Mm -hmm. that's how it all started
0: so as a one thing that's always kind of interesting about those big life moments um, when you're gonna surprise your parents on that how nervous were you um, to do something like that
1: You know what? I was I was not nervous because in my heart of hearts, I knew it was the right move for me. And I think I had finally figured out after going off to college that I was in control of my own destiny and I was soaking up life and work and college and figuring out what was out there for me. And I just knew that I needed to explore something a little bit different in a little bit bigger place. Mm -hmm. Cotty was absolutely fantastic from a foundational perspective, but Uh the things that the University of Nebraska, the doors that were opened here, the things that Mm -hmm. I was exposed to, it was familiar territory since my Mm -hmm. family lived in Omaha, but it was it was almost like not being with family because you were in a completely different world, exposed right. to things nationally and internationally while you were here on campus.
0: Right. Okay. So then, kind of fast forwarding a little bit, then to a post graduation, you said you didn't know that you were going to get into sports right away, but then you went into sports um, with the Kansas City Chiefs. So tell me about how, how you got to that point um, and what led you kind of to that opportunity with the Chiefs.
1: Yeah, I actually I will attribute it to the University of Nebraska and how I got to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, Heidi Kuka, who was in charge of the marketing uh, department at the athletic facility. She actually hired me on as a marketing intern. I was in the college mm-hmm. of business. I needed an internship. There was a marketing internship posted and I had no idea. I knew I loved volleyball. I had played volleyball a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, maybe that would be an interesting one. I had no idea the doors that it would open. The cool thing about the, the athletic department is when you're an intern or when you're a graduate assistant, you worked on at that time, all 24 sports. It mm-hmm. wasn't just about football and volleyball and of the bigger ones. I had to market wrestling. I had to market tennis. Um, We were in a group of young interns at the time who some of them actually still work here on campus today. And some of them have gone on to do some other really amazing, great things in sports and other industries as well. So, you know, what was cool is that I was able to, to basically Heidi actually catapulted me into situations that I I didn't even know about and so one of the ones was you know, I had to be the green hat on the sidelines Mm -hmm. of the football games Mm -hmm. and there was a woman named Amy who normally did that job and she was sick one week and so I had to fill in for her well little did I know I had to learn every football hand signal I had to stand in front of the football team and keep my eyes on the 50 yard line ref for anybody that doesn't know what a green hat does well I had to learn it in seven days and figured out that the broadcast space in sports is is even a different track. And so without having been tossed into situations that I was unfamiliar with and having to learn it and and sometimes learn it very quickly in an unfamiliar space, you know, I I would never have known that that was a career track. I would Mm -hmm. never have known that that actually might lead to some interest in football or sports in general and working on the business side. So Long story short, as I, uh, I, there was one of those pivotal moments. I um, called up my dad and my mom and said, because I had just gotten a graduate assistantship here, fully mm-hmm. paid for my grad school. And I called up my dad the next day and I said, I'm actually going to quit the graduate <laughs> school and go work for the Chiefs. And he said. I don't think you'll ever make a living in sports because it just wasn't exposed to us at the time. Right. And so, so my, my one goal was to prove my dad wrong. <laughs>
0: okay, So here you are years later, we, we're not going to jump that far ahead because we've definitely done that. I can confidently say that, but what, so what then was that first role with the chiefs um, yeah. and kind of what did you, what do you think you learned with that particular role um, that you were able to carry forward throughout the rest of your career?
1: you know, the first role with the Chiefs was as a manager of public relations. And that role was a very unsexy role. People think, oh, I've made it to the NFL. I've mm-hmm. finally gotten this job that I've aspired to get. And it's supposed to be this amazing thing. It was hard. It was the grunt work. Mm-hmm. And and frankly, it it was not something that I had aspired to do. But what I realized from that job is you've got to roll up your sleeves and you've got right. to spend the time and you've got to perfect that and you've got to find joy in it because if you don't perfect that and you don't do what's required of you there, then you're not going to just be able to hop up the food chain right. and understand what the rest of your staff or your co or your, um, coworkers are actually going through. And I think mm-hmm. that's what's been really helpful throughout my career is I've been able to dive pretty deep in a lot of different places it's helped me now as the president of a professional team saying, I've done that. I've done the grunt work. I've rolled up my sleeves. I've not only been on the court, not basketball, volleyball, (laughs) um, but, you know, I've also been, you know, behind the scenes and in the locker room and understanding what the associates go through, the interns go through, what the athletes go through. So,
0: okay. So then, you know, one of the things too, about the, about the chiefs is around here. um, Those that listen to the podcast know I record this in Lincoln, Nebraska. So there are a lot of chiefs fans here, right? That is a team that is very tied into the community in Kansas. Mm -hmm. City. So what did you learn about community building um, with being in a role with that team as well?
1: Mm -hmm. You talk about a, a continuous team that that constantly invests in the community. Their fan base is off the charts. In fact, I would attribute it to a lot of what Nebraska athletics Mm -hmm. experiences. It is something that they've invested in from a traditions perspective, from a rituals perspective. I had the great fortune when I was young and in those first roles with the Chiefs, I worked with Lamar Hunt. And when you think about what Lamar Hunt did for the NFL and starting the AFL, you, you think about him bringing the MLS into mm-hmm. that franchise as well at the time, you know, that was back when sports teams were almost just a, a, a big family. And so, you know, I was able to walk down the hall and ask him a question. If I had one, I worked in the days of Marty Schottenheimer, Dick Vermeil, mm-hmm. Gunther Cunningham. And those were the days when you could literally walk into their office and and ask a question. And, you know, for for good, bad, right or wrong, I didn't know any different. And they were always kind enough to be able to open a door for me and answer a question. And, And I think I developed a little more confidence in that space to say, hey, I can create my own pipeline, but I have to do the work and I have to learn it and I have to understand it. But there also was room for failure at the time. And I think that's been one of the big lessons that I've kind of carried forth in my own leadership is, You've got to allow room for that, for growth, for failure, and you've got to intentionally create a pipeline for young people to succeed.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess you know, kind of going from there, was Nike after that? Is, <laughs> is that when Nike came along? And what yeah. time period was that?
1: Well, I actually worked for two different sports marketing agencies in between. And it's okay. a very short stints. And I would always, always advocate if you're not sure what direction that you want to go, go and work for an agency. It's um, It's not for the faint hearted because you will work like crazy. But what you'll get to see is how organizations operate or how clients operate sometimes from the top to the bottom. So one of the agencies I worked with was um, Sprint and the NASCAR deal. I never Mm -hmm. thought in a million years I would work with NASCAR, but what I got to experience is. We worked with the Petty family, Richard Petty, Mm -hmm. Kyle Petty, Adam Petty. And that was right when Adam Petty had the car accident and passed away on Mm -hmm. the track. Mm -hmm. And you talk about watching an organization like Sprint at the time that was based in Kansas City, Sprint and how they had to work through crisis communications at the time, Mm -hmm. but I was on the agency side. So we did a lot of grunt work for them, but it allowed me to open up up those doors and see how they handled it from the top to Mm -hmm. the bottom. So from there, I actually, um, I had quite a few opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, I wasn't really looking to leave, but there were a lot of opportunities out there. I had an opportunity to go work for NASCAR Mm -hmm. and I asked myself, did I want to go do that? I had a job offer on the table to work with their community relations department and I thought, well, what would happen if I put my name out there myself and what if I went and marketed myself and so I spruced up my resume and I went out there and I started to see what was out there in sports and, and lo and behold I I had a couple of opportunities one with the NBA, one with the WNBA one with the Olympic committee and one Mm -hmm. with Nike. And at the time I chose Nike and uh-huh. I had been hired for um, the job in Portland, Oregon uh-huh. at the headquarters. I had just purchased my first house before I was 30. Uh-huh. That was a big good goal.
0: Job. Good, good work. I know uh-huh. Good
1: job and literally probably a month later, I got the job and the off goes the moving truck and all the stuff in my new house going to Portland, Oregon. My boss from Nike, my very new boss called me and said, I was sitting in my empty house and she calls and she says, So what do you think about going to Manhattan? We want you to be a (laughs) spokesperson for our women's sports group in New York, right in the middle of New York city. And I said, first of all, I think I puked. (laughs) I think I wanted to vomit. I thought, well, number one, I've never aspired to be in New York city. Didn't think that's what I was signing up for, but I, with a little bit of conversation with my family, I said, you know what, what the heck, when am I ever going to get this opportunity? And I'm so glad I did because once again it pushed me completely out of my comfort zone mm. i ended up as a nebraska girl at the time mm. midwest and south right in the middle of manhattan <laughs> right. with with a new a, a trailer full of stuff from a new house which anybody that's lived in manhattan uh,
0: you, you i know, don't know where do you put that, that stuff yeah <laughs> so i was clearly
1: the out of towner mm-hmm. so you know it what was fascinating is i worked in new york for two years um, i worked on their communications team in their media headquarters and worked on all facets of the business and 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 then moved to Portland, Oregon um, at the headquarters to do a lot of communication strategy, working on multiple different Olympics um, and ultimately then being asked to help lead the NFL partnership as well. And that was pretty cool because it's very intentional when working at Nike that they want you to change jobs every two years. And and I didn't realize that at first, but I held six different positions in my 10 years at Nike. They intentionally do that to create versatility uh-huh. and to really make sure that you have a well-rounded experience to be able to think differently when they put you on a new job. So I worked for men's sports, women's sports, Olympics, the NBA, um, the NFL. I worked for all of their affiliate businesses. I did for a year communications for Kohan, Hurley, Umbro, uh-huh. and Converse, which is was fascinating. You talk about going from pure sports to footwear retail Hurley was into the surf culture you had Umbro who was almost a competitor to Nike at that time in the soccer world Mm -hmm. Um, they've since sold off I think all of those brands and um, and really focused on transferring um, their identity into digital technology Mm -hmm. so it was it was almost once again incredibly important for me to to train myself to think differently and to be comfortable being uncomfortable and I was very uncomfortable in some of those positions but once I found out, hey, I know the right questions to ask, there are people out here to help me figure out how to succeed, and they actually don't want me to think the same. They want me to bring different ideas, right. and that was something that I've now embraced and put forth in terms of how I
0: lead my teams as well. So, uh, okay, but before diving more into Nike, though, I have a question. You've done a lot of stuff there that I wanted to dive into further. So, I, when you get the the offer to then move from Portland to Manhattan, one of the things that you're kind of describing that is that you almost have to kind of bet on yourself to do something mm-hmm. like that, and you kind of have mm-hmm. to have a resilience in that. So, where did that come from? Like, what mm-hmm. made you? Then want to say okay you know what I can do this
1: yeah it's that's a great question because I don't think I was inherently born with that trait Mm -hmm. I actually so I'm the oldest of five girls Mm -hmm. and you know what was really big in my family is community and leaning on each other and I lean on my sisters a lot and they lean on me a lot and I think there was a lot of conversation and a lot of coaxing. I can't tell you right now that I that I shoved myself off the rug <laughs> right. and said let's go do this. There was something in me that kept nagging at me saying, Morgan, you can do this like mm-hmm. there's nothing that says you can't do this. yeah, it's scary. but um, you know, it's just like now when I when I lead my teams, It takes a village. Um, When I talk to our head coach, Tanisha Wright, who we just hired, she talks about the fact that it takes a village in teams too. I really feel like it took a village in terms of every decision that I make it wasn't just my own. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it was, you know, my parents being supportive and they were a little cautious putting their baby (laughs) in the middle of New York city, wasn't really the, you know, wasn't really in the game plan, but I, uh, I drug one of my little sisters with me and Mm -hmm. she slept on my couch and she actually ended up getting an internship for major league baseball Mm -hmm. and working there for 10 years and ends up being the vice president of new business development there. So, cool. You know, she had a little safety net, and I always say she was my safety
0: net. <laughs> nice, very cool. Okay, so back on, on Nike, what was what what would you say is a marketing strategy that you helped work on or developed in your time there that really stands out to you?
1: The NFL partnership. So I was an instrumental part of leading all of the communication strategy for Nike in 2012 when they received the NFL partnership. So Uh at that time, um, the NFL had been outfitted on field and in training by Reebok. Uh And so at the time when Nike bid on the deal, it was the biggest deal that they had ever they had ever landed. Now they've had other partnerships with Manchester and a few others, global soccer and things like that, that are a little bit bigger, but at the time it was massive for Nike. And so that I think was one of those pivotal moments for me working on something that was so high profile. Uh, the cool thing is I had relationships with all 32 teams anyway, um, from, from what I had done with the Kansas city chiefs and right. the relationships that I had garnered, And so it was actually a lot easier for someone like me to navigate. And Nike at the time didn't have anybody else that had actually worked in the NFL, Mm -hmm. which seems a little bit odd for a big company like that bringing in a partnership. They've since hired on quite a few more and they still have that partnership and the partnerships evolved as well. But the launch moment in New York City when we were bringing, we brought one player from every single team. We actually, on the Nike side of things, I actually got to work with Michael Vick, mm-hmm. who had come back from everything um, when he was imprisoned, mm-hmm. you know, skipping forward a little bit. We'll mm-hmm. probably talk about that a little bit too, mm-hmm. working for the Falcons yep. and Arthur Blank. When That's coming up next. Finally, a yeah. yeah, when they finally brought Michael Vick back, it mm-hmm. was really a powerful moment for me in terms of, you know, understanding sport and, and the humanity of it. And I've, you know, I've always believed that sport is, and will always be a catalyst for change because you're dealing with humans. It's a microcosm of society. And um, that was a pretty powerful time for me. And it really solidified, solidified the fact that I wanted to stay in sports and continue to see where my career led. Never in a million years did I think I'd be sitting in this seat. Though, but <laughs> right? It's uh, it's been a really
0: fun ride. Okay, so then, so we'll go there. Then you brought it up. You opened the door. The, the Atlanta <laughs> Falcons. Your time with yes. the Falcons um, and working for them, and kind of and with Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Like, what were what, were, what was your role? I guess mm-hmm. <laughs> during that time.
1: So I was hired on about seven years ago to be the vice president of communications. So ironically, I was the first female vice president of communications in the entire NFL. There were no other females. There were a few women in lower level positions, but it was almost a shock to the system. It was a shock to the system, not only for the team to figure out, well, how do we make this work because you work basically in a men's locker room. And a lot of that was, a bit of a barrier at the time. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't anything that I hadn't been familiar with. I had worked for Lamar Hunt. I had been in the in the trenches with the Chiefs. We had done the grunt work and and earned the respect. I had earned the respect of the players and the league at the time. And so coming back to the Falcons, it made it a little bit easier understanding athlete mentality from a men's sports perspective. And I was comfortable in that space, yeah. comfortable, comfortable in my own skin in that space. But um, ultimately over the six or seven years that i was there i ended up um, becoming the chief marketing officer mm-hmm. for um the businesses which included mercedes-benz stadium which is mm-hmm. a separate entity under arthur blank's umbrella
0: okay so then one of the things too and, and i feel like when when we talk about you know the first woman to do blank um in this case especially like you think of the negatives to that what were some mm-hmm. of the things though that you think helped you being a woman in that space what do you think helped you in that in that role
1: the one thing that comes to mind and i I can tell you all of the amazing champions that I've had, I will tell you all of the men that were cheering me on Mm -hmm. all of the men that opened up their doors to say, Hey, come ask me a question. Mm -hmm. I think if more women had the courage to say, I'm going to raise my hand and I want to learn that instead of just expecting that it might be given to them, you know, you got to do the work and you've got to, you got to go in there with that mindset of, it's okay to fail, but you also have to have a leadership team that embraces that too. And I had the great fortune of having some amazing men along the way. You know, I just, I just, um, you know, uh, said hello to Trev Alberts and I was here in UNL back in the day of Bill Byrne. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he embraced having women in leadership in that athletic department. So I always saw that happen Mm -hmm. throughout my entire career, which was kind of cool. And so, Yes, it's a little bit jarring that I was the first female, I was actually the only female on the leadership team for quite a while, but for better or for worse over the last five years you've seen that landscape change a lot, and you know you can't go in thinking About the negative, like you Mm. said, you've got to go in there thinking, you know, I'm an advocate for change by me being here. I'm not just taking up space. I'm actually pulling people along the way, Mm. pulling people up to say, I'm going to open doors and fight for what's right. Whether it's maternity leave, whether it's equal pay and Mm. it's not, you know, yes, you can look at it as a fight, but it also has challenged me to make a great business case. And, And that's important too. It's not just, Hey, let's do what's right. That's part of it but let's make the business case for it. It's like investing in women's sports. It's not a charity it's a really smart business decision.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that one of the things too is that you said this very well, the very, very short version of that is representation matters, right? It does. And I think that what you just explained and kind of how you were able to have those examples and Mm -hmm. see that throughout your time in sports, um, I think it's really cool. I think that's a really good way um, to be able to have that perspective as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, now what's really interesting is I represent a league that is 80 to 85% Black females. And it's been really important over the years. I've sat on multiple boards that support Black media or Black women in media, Black women in broadcasting. And I think it's important for me as a white woman, it's not just about women. It's also about marginalized communities that, ultimately, we have to invest in, especially with the WNBA now, and especially in Atlanta, you think about the community Mm -hmm. that we seek to serve one of the most diverse cities in the entire United States. If me as a white woman come, if I come in there thinking I know how to how to make this grow without bringing in those voices, then shame on me. And so that's, I think, one of the things that it requires a different mindset. It requires a different level of investment, time investment, Mm -hmm. understanding that maybe I don't have all the right answers. I might have a few of them, but I don't come in with a template on how to do things. I reach out to the community, whether that's the associates, the players, the leadership team, and all of them are helping build the strategy to move this forward in women's sports now.
0: How how uncomfortable was that though? What you just said about being able to reach out to the community, community and other stakeholders to try to figure those things out—like mm-hmm. that's not always easy to do, right? Mm-hmm. Like putting yourself out there is not always easy. So how did you kind of muster the courage, for lack of a better word, to be able to even take that step?
1: Yeah, it's it's a great point. But when you realize—and I don't think in sports a lot of people realize this—you don't always have to come in with all the answers. Well. Now, when you're in a high dollar stakes and a lot of the money coming into some of these massive programs, everybody expects you to have the answer. But if you take a moment, you pause, you realize we're all human, you realize that consumers are changing every day fandom is changing every day we just got hit with a massive pandemic Mm -hmm. that wiped out the way we were for Mm -hmm. two years and then you think about everything that happened in 2020 and the social unrest and george floyd and brianna taylor you think about all those things that have happened you asked the question about how hard is it to go into the community and and admit that, hey, we need to learn from the community in terms of what they want from us. What do they need us to be? to me that's a humbling a humbling platform to be able to say help us build this because how can i reach them how can i reach that fan or reach that consumer or that athlete mm-hmm. if we don't go out and ask the right questions so mm-hmm. it's a bit of a different mindset than most professional teams than the way they've been built and i think you have to look at women's sports differently and i think you have to well sports in general i think moving forward have to change but women's sports in specific if we're actually going to do what what you know we know we can do in terms of shining a spotlight on them providing resources We've got to talk to them and we've got to talk to the community.
0: Right. Okay. And so when, when you came into your role with the Atlanta dream, we'll kind of, we'll jump into that a little bit. Um, It it was during, I guess what I would term a tenuous time uh, during the thing for those at home that listening, you can't see her shaking her head um, to that (laughs) uh, not to put you on blast, but you know, so what drew you to the opportunity with the Atlanta dream than knowing all of what was kind of going on around the team at that time?
1: Well, I... Literally, there is no other opportunity in sport than jumping on to this team at this time with this new leadership. So Mm -hmm. let's think about the last two years and what's happened. So, so 2020, all of the social unrest, Mm -hmm. you had a previous ownership group that frankly didn't invest in the growth of these athletes, the resources Mm -hmm. for these athletes and the team itself. Um, You know, you you basically had an owner stepping into um, being against Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. And when you've got a league of 80 to 85 percent Black women and you say that that isn't important, you can see why these athletes started to to leverage their voices in a way that I think they didn't even know how powerful they could be. I really look at 2020 as a catalyst for change in ownership, change in society, change in women's sports. And I, and I, you can look at that as negative all day long, but you look at the changes that have happened in two years. And then you look at now, even in the last three months, let's just take the changes in women's sports mm-hmm. in the last three months, you've got a $75 million capital raise from the WNBA. Mm-hmm. Um, so the commissioner has done an incredible job bringing on community partners like Nike and others to really start to fund what needs to happen in towards, a, in, in terms of almost taking this league to the next level. You've got, I believe, and, and don't quote me, but I think it's $27 million, 25 of that in back pay to the NWSL mm-hmm. and the athletes in the women's soccer league. So you've got this momentum around women's sports. You also have about two or three weeks before this, um, this, uh, March madness, mm-hmm. You actually had every single spot for ESPN, every ad spot sold out. That's never happened before. So you think about the time and the space that we're in. To me, when I looked at the ownership change, when I looked at the fact that they were based in core values and they didn't want to just build the Atlanta franchise to be the best in the WNBA, they wanted to change women's sports. That's when the hair in my arms stood up and I said, wow. I think I was built for this. I have to go after that job. And so when they they actually came and and you know asked me to apply for it, and to me it's a no brainer. So I, I am now afforded the opportunity to do right by these athletes to build a team that is not only all about what's happening on the court so i've got my my co-partner in mm-hmm. our general manager Dan Padover and Tanisha Wright our head coach mm-hmm. you've got a powerhouse leadership team i was the first from the nfl to ever proactively jump to the wnba mm-hmm. think about that yeah. for a
0: minute J- just saying that is big enough saying that,
1: yeah. um, you know our ownership Suzanne A Bear she talks a lot about the fact that you know when i was brought on it made the espn ticker because mm-hmm. that's new thing. It it seems absurd to think that that's the case, but the WNBA deserves to have different thinkers, proactive investment. And when I found out that this ownership group was not only going to invest in it, but they were in it for the long haul. They Mm -hmm. weren't just buying a team to sell it or to buy another team. They're in it for women's sports. To me, I couldn't be in a better situation. So that's the long and short of, you know, how I ended up here and, and, and why it was so important for me to make the jump.
0: So, and and like you said, there's so many different exciting things that are happening, not just in the WNBA. There are, but also just in women's sports in general. So I can, Mm -hmm. I'd be remiss if I did not ask you this, what's happening next? What do you (laughs) see as kind of the next frontier of continuing to take women's sports to the next level?
1: I think so. We all know that the WNBA is set to expand when and how that happens remains to be seen, but that's definitely something that's on Kathy Engelbert's radar and something that she's actively pushing for. I think what you're going to see is heavier investment in the league. You're seeing it in the NWSL right now. Mm-hmm. You're seeing different levels of ownership and leadership coming in to think more proactively. Mm-hmm. How do we take women's sports into this digital age? Now, I say that and I sound like an, an old raisin. <laughs> the digital age has been going on for at it's least It's been here a years. little bit, yeah. Okay. For a minute. I was to let that slide, but, but, you, but okay. how do you... But how do you bring it into this next frontier? You have to think about name, image, life. You have to embrace it. You have to understand that most people are viewing these games, not from inside your stadium or your Mm -hmm. arena. They're viewing it from this Uh phone in your hands and they want short snippets. Sometimes they don't want to just watch the entire game. So you not only have to understand that, you know, your entertainment has to be built around the game. But it's just that it's entertainment. Mm-hmm. And when they step into your stadium, when you're out in the community, when you're trying to sell a ticket, every single moment that you touch a consumer is a brand moment of truth. And mm-hmm. I'll steal that from Steve Cannon, who is the former CEO of uh, Arthur Blank's companies mm-hmm. who, you know, he talks a lot about brand and the importance of investing in every single
0: touch point. So mm-hmm. something we talk about a lot. No, no. You mentioned um, NIL and kind of this new frontier <laughs> that we're in. In that, how do you, how do you see in your role and just in your day to day? How do you see NIL kind of impacting everything that's going on in sports?
1: It's impacting everything. And I think it's, you know, it's one of those spaces that we've got to do our due diligence to understand it correctly mm-hmm. and almost map out what does five years from now look like? How do we look at where the money's going, how these athletes are informed and educated about how to use their own name, image, and likeness? Mm-hmm. How do we then start to embrace that and take it to the next level in a professional league like the WNBA? Mm-hmm. One of the things that the University of Nebraska is doing. That I've, that I've seen over the past couple of days when I've been here and you and I were talking about it earlier is really the education around it. Yeah. And that's so important because if you're building your brand as a young athlete, half the time, and I'm just speaking from my own truth is that I didn't know who the heck I was when I was 18 <laughs> right. years old. You're still learning that and that's okay. That's what college is for. And so now that there's an education piece anchored to the NIL business, I think that's what's so smart about the way UNL is approaching it, is to really help these athletes ask themselves the right questions, help them build their own brands, and then figure out where within this NIL space does it actually make sense for me. Because there's so many different facets of it. It's not just
0: one thing. So gotcha hey well Morgan this has been great um I could talk to you all day we we (laughs) we could do this literally for another hour but I would not take up another hour of your time thank you so much for being on um like I said that's going to do it for us subscribe to the podcast everywhere you can listen to them. rate us and leave us a five-star review if you only leave floor I am inclined to think you're a hater and nobody wants that uh make sure that you're checking out the other podcasts on the hill varsity network the mind your own podcast varsity club Nebraska preps post game show and the hill varsity radio show you can also check out the hill varsity YouTube page which i'm back on with the recruiting question video of the week and you can find me on twitter at greg smith hb i will catch y'all next time a hood media production